Hey there, this is Sophie. Before we get started in our deep dive podcast conversation today, I just wanted to let you know that if you enjoy our podcast, you might also enjoy some of the other great content we have available for you on YouTube, our blog, and on our website. Check it out, russellinvestments.com. How much we as a country bring in revenue versus how much we as a country spend. I mean, we spend way more than we, than we make even before the pandemic. So at some point, there's got to be some sort of recalibration, sort of kind of rebalance that. So the current administration wanted to spend even more through some of their programs. And for us, for you and me, for all of us, that revenue comes through in the form of taxes. They're proposing to remove the step up in basis at death. And it's one of the major, one of the biggest financial planning tools that's out there is to be able to pass assets to heirs this free, a tax-free step up in basis. So they are proposing to make that a taxable event. Concurrent with that, they're also wanting to increase the tax rate for long-term capital gains and qualified dividends. They're trying to make the taxation of capital gains similar to that of income, to where there's no advantage to where the income comes from between capital gains and income. If a client has an asset that they intend to sell next 12 to 18 months, now is the time to have a discussion and maybe pull that gain forward and recognize that during this year. But January 1st of next year, that new code could be in effect. Welcome to the Helping Advisors podcast by Russell Investments. I'm Sophie Antagibert, head of North America Portfolio and Business Consulting for Russell Investments Advisor and Intermediary Solutions Business. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that we at Russell Investments love, and we hope that you love equally and your clients too. Namely, we are going to talk about, drumroll, taxes. Now, taxes have obviously been in the news a tremendous amount in the past few weeks um, at, in sort of national headlines. At Russell Investments, taxes are front of mind every day of the year, whether it's a Saturday or a Sunday or a holiday or a weekday, whether it's working hours or evening time. We are thinking, living, and breathing taxes all the time, specifically around how we can help advisors and investors be able to maximize after-tax returns and minimize that drag that can happen, that return that is lost to taxes when taxes aren't really being considered in investment decisions. Now, joining me for this conversation today is Frank Pape, Senior Director in our Portfolio Consulting Team in Russell Investments Advisor and Intermediary Solutions business. Frank has been an expert on taxes for many, many years. He comes by it honestly. He is a certified public accountant and has worked at Russell Investments for over 20 years now and has been working sort of hand in hand and side by side with advisors to help them be able to integrate tax-managed and tax-smart investing into their practices and bring some of that best thinking and solutions to their clients. So with that, Frank, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me today in our conversation. Yeah, thanks, Sophia. You said the word expert. I don't think there's such things as expert and, and taxes together, but yeah, happy to be here to talk about taxes and investments. It has been something that we've, we've collectively all done, Russell Investments, for a long time. So yeah, glad to be here. Terrific. Thank you. Well, I'm really glad that we get to pick your brain because taxes have been, as I mentioned, sort of front of mind at Russell Investments for a long time. But now in the last few weeks have definitely been, last few weeks, last few months, depending on how alert you've been, they have been in the national headlines as well. Can you talk a little bit about, just to set the stage for us, 
what is happening and why are taxes in the news? There's talk of tax code changes potentially. What is your take on that and how big of a deal might this be for investors? Yeah, thanks, Sophie. So yeah, in our discussion with advisors in, in recent times, it's the number one question coming up is what's, what's, what's happening with the rates? What's, what's going to happen? People want to know and look forward to know what's happening. But if you think about it, kind of back up and you just look at it as a country and you see the data, you know, how much we as a country bring in revenue versus how much we as a country spend. You look at it in total dollars, you look at it as a percent of GDP or gross domestic product. I mean, we spend way more than we, than we make. Even before the pandemic, we're spending more than we make. So at some point, there's got to be some sort of recalibration, so kind of rebalance that. So the current administration wanted to spend even more through some of their programs. It just makes sense. It's just natural. is going to be a, a, an attempt to find more revenue. And for us, for you and me, for all of us, that revenue comes through in the form of taxes on the money that we earn. So I, I agree. It sounds like there is some, you know, some talk of income tax increases for individuals. What about on the corporate tax rate? Are there changes there? Where else are they focusing? That's, that's interesting to bring that up, Sophie, because it feels like we talk about the corporate tax rate and the, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act that the prior administration enacted in 2018. They brought the corporate tax rate from 35% down to 21%. That's a really uh, a big reduction. But you look at the data, we look at the data from the, the CBO or the Congressional Budget Office, 47% of our revenue as a country, and almost half comes from individual taxes, those taxes that you and I and all of us get, get to pay. The corporations that had all the headlines on it is only 6% of the total revenue. So Really? Yeah, yeah. So if you're looking yeah. to create more revenue, for sure the corporate tax rate, it matters. But the bigger opportunity to get more revenue is on the individual side. Again, 47% of that revenue coming from individuals. So therefore, here we are today having discussions about what they may change or might not change in regards to the individual tax code. So with respect to the individual tax code, right, there are different thresholds. Everybody's tax rate is not created equally. What type of investor do I need to be for this to potentially impact me? I mean, do, do I need yeah. to worry? How much do I need to worry, Frank? Not that the world revolves around <laughs> I me, wish I had but that that's obviously the, the question top of mind. So what kind of profile of person do I need to be where maybe I should consider making some changes to a portfolio or having a conversation with my advisor or as an advisor having conversations with my clients about about taxes. Yeah, right. When, when, I, when we talk to advisors, when I'm on calls with advisors and investors, when I talk to my family on the phone, when I go to the mailbox, that's the question. And the, the, the answer right now is unsatisfying is we don't know, right? We just don't know. For last week, all we had is what the administration, what then candidate Biden campaigned on. There was no proposal really to debate. Last week, we actually had the first official proposal by the White House that came out. So I, I think that proposal came out. And the, the question to you, Sophie, is there's like, does that impact me? Or how's, how's that work? I think really the conversation moves to, we have to wait and see what happens. Just because something gets proposed by the administration, that does not become law. We, that just starts the process of this negotiation with the House, with the Senate, trying to get consensus on what can be passed. And we'll talk about it later. But I think the main thing is right now, we don't know. It depends. And I think people need to follow and work their advisor. Advisors need to kind of stay abreast of what's going on. What gets proposed versus what's passed are likely two different things. So we need to see you know, how the sausage is made, as they say, about a bill going through Washington, D.C. Frank, you're definitely an astute CPA. I know that from having worked alongside you for, for many years now. But I, I didn't quite appreciate what a politician you are. The sausage yeah. gets made and an economist also. You know, it depends. Um, yeah. But I definitely appreciate that there's still a lot of, you know, 
sort of unclarity in the situation right now. That being said, can you maybe summarize for us the proposal that, you know, is sort of the, as you say, the first volley? What does that look like? What caught your eye about that? And again, if you put on an advisor's hat from an advisor's lens, what should I be thinking about as an advisor? Yeah. So the proposal that came out that last week of, of April, part of the American Families Plan that got put out there, one was to increase the top marginal rate. So today, the top marginal rate is 37% for couples married, filing joint. They crossed that number, call it $600,000. They wanted to crank that up to 39.6 for people above $400,000 is in that proposal. That's 37% to 39.6%. That's a change. But the two biggest things, Sophie, that really get in the eyes of financial planners and advisors and really the whole industry One is they're proposing to remove the step up in basis at death. Today, if you buy an asset, you know, for $100 and that asset appreciates to $200, you have a $100 gain in that asset. If you hold on that asset and you die, you're able to leave that $200 asset to your heirs. They get a free step up in basis at at your death. So they get that that $200 becomes their new basis. And there's no tax. That's a no tax Mm -hmm. event. And it's one of the major, one of the biggest financial planning tools that's out there is to be able to pass assets to heirs with this free, free, a tax-free step up in basis. And from a government's perspective, that's that's leakage, right? That's suddenly a tremendous amount of revenue that is not coming my way anymore. Exactly right. If you're trying to crank up that revenue, there's there's revenue right there in front of you. So they are proposing to try to make that a taxable event. The proposal is if you have assets over a million dollars and that transfer at death is your portfolio, you have to pay that tax before the assets get passed to your heirs. Again, that's a major change. Concurrent with that, they're also wanting to increase the tax rate for long-term capital gains and qualified dividends. That asset I talked about with 100 to $200, that's a capital gain. Today, that top rate for a capital gain is a 20% plus 3.8% if we include that net investment income tax tied to the Affordable Care Act. So let's call it 20%. They want to take that rate and increase it to 39.6%. So you can imagine- Oh, the same as the income. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 20% versus 39.6%. That's almost doubling of, of that tax rate. And, and your point is exactly right, Sophie. They're trying to make the taxation of capital gains- similar to that of income, to where there's no advantage to where the income comes from between capital gains and income. But again, if you have appreciated assets and your tax rate goes from 20%, potentially, the keyword potentially goes from 20% to 39.6%, that is a huge, huge change for investors, for holders of appreciated assets. And, and again, getting rid of this step up in basic death is just, it's just a material change. It's sending, I'll use the word shockwaves through the, through the planning industry. So I'm, I'm curious to see what happens in, in these negotiations. So, I I mean, I know it's anybody's best guess what might happen, but what, and and yeah, we don't know, and it's hard to plan for the unknown, although the past year has given us some good practice in that. Right now, what would you suggest advisors do? I mean, obviously, we don't want to make a wrong decision, so you don't want to sort of, you know, pull a decision forward that may be a moot point, but are are there things that we can do now that kind of regardless of the outcome, could be good things? Like, is there any sort of, you know, housekeeping, house cleaning that yeah. we can do now? And since taxes are top of mind for, you know, a lot of investors too right now, are there any conversations that you feel like, well, this should have been a conversation we could have had with a, a client. It would have benefited them. Let's capitalize on this right now. Let's use this as an opportunity. Let's not let this crisis go without sort of, you know, using that as an opportunity. 
Yeah, completely fair question. So taxes mattered before this discussion, before rates might have potentially gone up. Long-term capital gain taxes and qualified dividends, those tax rates did not go down during the Tax Cut and Jobs Act that got enacted in December 2018. So those rates for cap gains and qualified dividends didn't go down. They're the same, same high rate they've been for some time. Taxes always matter. So I think in this, this lens of if, if you know advisors should stay abreast of what's going on, but for, for client discussions, if a client has an asset that they intend to sell next 12 to 18 months, or there's a, a high probability they might sell an asset next 12 to 18 months, and that's on their radar to sell it, now's the time to have discussion and maybe pull that, pull that gain forward and recognize that during this year, if, if that's an asset you're going to sell. Uh, again, rates aren't going down. I don't think we've talked about rates going down yet. So if you don't, if you think the rates uh, are going to stay the same and at worst going to go up, pull that gain forward and, and maybe want to recognize that now and pay the tax rates that you do know. There's no one rule that's going to work for everybody. I think every situation will need to be analyzed or modeled of what's going forward. But I think this is an opportunity for, for advisors to have those discussions. And the other one, Sophie, is... If and we hear this a lot, we talk to clients, we talk, we tell them about tax managed alternatives or tax managed solutions that do quite well after tax. They think, hey, I love that, but I don't want to sell out of my current investment because I'm going to trigger a tax. I don't want to pay that tax to do that. So they'll stick with something they don't like because they don't want to pay the tax. Well, if you think rates are going to go up uh, in the future, you think there's a likelihood of rates are going up, now's the time to pull that transaction forward and maybe make that transition. Pay that tax, the rate that you know today, and move to a more tax-efficient, a more tax-managed solution uh, going forward. You know, not letting it be stay bad. It's an opportunity to maybe get out of something you don't like and go to something that, that, make, that, that makes more sense. Yeah, and since investors are thinking about this right now, it might be easier to embark on that conversation where, you know, we, we talk to a lot of advisors who say, I really want the client to be able to move, but, you know, it's just tricky to get them to bite the bullet right now. Maybe now is, you know, sort of strike while the iron is hot that moment. So in terms of time frame, I, I, I don't want to press you on, on things that are unknown, but you mentioned sort of a, a time frame of if a client was going to you know, sell something in the next 12 to 18 months. Is, can we read between the lines there, Frank, in terms of what your thought process is of as this you know, proposal needs to work its way through, as you said, various chambers of Congress before it actually becomes law and then before it actually you know, goes into effect? Is there anything that we can read into that? 12 to 18 months time frame, or was that just kind of an offhand? This is you know time frame that CPAs generally among themselves use, or yeah, what, I, what's your thinking there? Yeah, I think it's back to this idea of just the, the best guess. So look historically, historically, Sophie, you know tax increases have been enacted the following year, right? So this year they would pass a tax increase, but the date of enactment following year. So if something was to get passed this year, likely it would be enacted January one of 2022. Tax decreases, much easier to politically get passed, much easier to, to people get their arms around. Tax decreases have been retroactive. Tax increases historically have been the following year. Meaning, so if something was passed this year, whatever my earnings and my returns are this year in the calendar year of 2021 would not be affected by that. It's not until 2022. So the check that I have to sign or the e-transfer I need to make to the beloved IRS in April of 2022 based on my income for 2021, would not be affected by any sort of tax increase yet if it was passed this year, if, if it turned into legislation this if year. If something happened, if something, if something got passed in the next couple of months, you would have, my understanding, 
until December 31st of this year to pull any gains forward, even recognize those gains if you can. You can imagine if rates are going up. Again, deductions probably have more value later than higher rates. So you might want to try to defer or push out deductions. But income, you want to pull forward where you can with with what may be lower rates. So yeah, you would have, we think, until end of the year to try to make those decisions. But January 1st of next year, those new that new code could be in effect. But again, Sophie, how we started this conversation, we just don't know. It's just it's just hard to really know. But historically, that's how things have worked. And it seems like you have between now and year end to pull gains forward. Well, yeah. And that's assuming that things suddenly went very quickly and you know, that it was actually passed this year. But either way, it sounds like it's a good way, right? We're trying to help clients think ahead and plan for the future, plan for a long, bright future. Yep. Let's not dawdle on things. It's not going to Rates aren't going down, I guess, is sort of yes. the thing to remember. When, whenever we're feeling pain around taxes, we know for sure, certain, pretty much, that they're not going down anytime soon. So, And there's a lot of energy and effort to have the rates go up. So, I mean, to our point, our, how we started about how we, as a country, spend more, spend way more than, than we bring in. At some point, there's going to be an alignment of that, and that's going to be through taxes. And I, it seems like tax rates are going to go up in some form or fashion. Again, to our point... Right now, the focus is on capital gains. And for advisors, that's the part of their tax return they have most impact over is capital gains and how they invest the money. So advisors play a key role in, in making some key decisions to help their clients navigate these changing rates, possibly changing rates. And so there's sort of a notion here of tax loss harvesting versus tax gain harvesting. Should advisors be helping clients look at harvesting their gains also if Tax rates are going to go up. How how should we be thinking yeah. about that? It, it's, it's funny because we're at Russell Investments. We're so keen on talking to clients about tax loss harvesting, and that's the concept. If in a mutual fund, or even for advisors who, who work with investors directly, if an investment or, or something you buy goes down in price, so of course we want all our investments to go up, but sometimes they go down in, in price. And if that price goes down, you could actually sell that asset at a lower price than you paid for it, and that difference between what you paid and what you sell it for, if it's a loss. You know, we call it you, you harvested or you recognize that loss. And now you have this asset, this loss you can use to offset against gains. To reduce your tax bill. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And done correctly, it's very powerful in reducing your tax bill. Exactly. Well, if you think that tax rates are potentially going up, this idea of tax loss harvesting still can be helpful. But even more, another idea is to tax gain harvest. Pull those gains forward and, and let's uh, recognize those gains now when, when rates are lower. So when we have clarity and, and rates are going up for certain investors and they think they have a reason to sell an asset, they've been thinking about it, they're, they're the asset's out of favor, they need the cash, that definitely makes sense to pull that gain forward, harvest that gain. But you have to realize, though, if, when you do that, what do you do with the proceeds? You have to have a place to put those proceeds. Do you have a more compelling investment uh, to put those proceeds in? Does that asset still make sense in the context of the financial plan? We would say that if you make that sale, make sure you reinvest it in a tax smart approach. You don't want to make it worse and invest in something else that's not tax smart. Invest in something that's going to try to defer those gains as long as you can and minimize that tax drag going forward. Because the higher the rates are, it's just more important to be smart around after-tax returns. So that's a good point. Not just thinking about, okay, solving problem one, but by solving problem one, I've now essentially kind of created a problem two, which is now I have this cash. And what yeah. do I do with this cash? How do I put that to work? When when people think of tax smart investing, oftentimes our mind goes to ETFs or index funds. 
what is, we can't make any specific recommendations. And as you've already mentioned, everybody's situation is a little bit different or can be very different. But that's definitely on the minds of a lot of people is, well, I'll just invest the proceeds into some sort of a passive investment. Are those, when we think about tax smart solutions, Frank, when you think about tax smart solutions, how do ETFs fit into that or that type of, you know, sort of passive investment how would you weigh that against what other options should I be weighing those against? Yeah, it's funny, Sophie. I'm, I'm you know, reading the, the interwebs and all the stories coming up about the tax changes going forward. And the narrative so often is tax rates are going up. This is a windfall for, and the stories always say, index funds and ETFs. And you can hear me screaming from my house here at home. And I'm like, and tax managed equity funds. And, and I think that, yeah, passive on average can do better than many of the active funds that are out there for ETFs, index funds. But tax-managed equity funds have a series of things they could do in the, in, within their portfolio to be even more compelling than some of those passive alternatives that are out there. So I think that, again, the narrative is the default, go passive. It should be passive or tax-managed equity funds, because I think and we, we can show clients the data that we're really, really a, a compelling alternative to just the average approach in trying to, again, minimize that tax drag and maximize after-tax return. Again, we have a series of tools or proposals we could help to, to illuminate these bits. But I, I think that's that's the, the question is, what do you do those proceeds? I think a tax-smart approach with tax-managed equity funds and municipal bond funds put together in a thoughtful way is, is a pretty compelling offering. Hey, we're just going to take a quick break here, but we'll be back shortly. Hey, it's Julie, your productivity and readiness expert at Vessel Investments. We'll get back to the podcast in just a sec. But first, a question we hear from financial professionals over and over is, how do I make my investment practice stand out from the one across the street? We're all looking for ways to be unique. One powerful way is by becoming a tax-managed investing expert. Our latest value of advisor study shows that taking a tax-smart approach can provide enough value to investors that more than justifies a reasonable fee. And if you're thinking tax management sounds like too much work, don't because Russell Investments can provide you with tax-smart models that can help with all that portfolio management. Visit us at russellinvestments.com to learn more and start setting your practice apart with a tax-managed approach. Or then again, maybe you could just repaint your lobby. That might help too. And we're back. So Frank, you've mentioned a few tools and proposals. How have you seen advisors use those effectively with clients? Again, if I'm if I'm putting my advisor hat on, and you've been very persuasive now, Frank. I realize I, I should have a conversation. I should do this. I should, you know, potentially pull these gains forward. Obviously, on a case by case and client by client basis. Then I'll have the cash proceeds. We'll figure out what makes the most sense for the investor. How best to invest it. How do I talk to the client about this? And what sort of statistics or illustrations or even just, you know, phrases can help me be able to create a sense of urgency in the client and help the client understand this is in your best interest too. I mean, as as an advisor, obviously I I stand to to benefit at a certain point, right? The the more your investment grows, if I'm a fee-based advisor, the more my revenue increases as well. But first and foremost, we want to help investors be able to achieve their goals. How do I help a client in that conversation or understand that in a way that is more plain English than maybe yeah, you know, I mean, about 1099s and 1040s? Yeah, no one wants to pay pay more than they have to. And I think it's the line that, that we use and others are out there. It's not what you earn, it's what you keep. You might see this paper gain in a statement, but until you realize it, it's not a gain. 
So at Russell Investments, we can work with advisors to do a break-even analysis. You know, once the advisor explains to the client about, hey, tax rates may be going up, we can do a break-even analysis that really helps them understand that if you're to sell asset A and pay this tax and move to a more tax-efficient approach going forward, given that higher rate subsequently in two years or 18 months or three years, you, you could be better off ahead paying that tax now and moving forward. So I think you're doing the analysis and doing a break-even analysis and, and helping people understand that it's not a gain until you take it, right? And once you recognize that gain, to, to your question earlier, what do you do with those proceeds? A tax-smart approach may actually come out ahead for you. And again, we can run that analysis and help people understand when that break-even happens and, and how that's the benefit for the investor. And to your point, for the advisor, always do the best thing for your client. And this is the, the benefits accrue to everybody. And it's just a really a win-win. Terrific. So it sounds like contacting your Russell Investments representative to get some intel on you know, details and resources on having the conversation and on being able to personalize and customize that conversation to the client's specific situation will have yeah. the greatest impact. Yeah. And I've got a feeling of just talking to my family and friends and, and a few advisors. I mean, people are asking the question, you think about our country, the, the aging baby boomer population, how many appreciated assets these baby boomers have. And there's lots of kids who are, are you know, there's a plan to pass these assets from the baby boomers to, to, to their kids. This step up in basis change is a huge thing. So it's it's just sit, sitting off shockwaves and people are asking the question. So yeah, this analysis needs to be done. We need to see, see what shakes out, but it could it's huge. It's a big change. Well, thank you, Frank. This was really, really helpful because again, the taxes have been in the news, Tax potential tax changes have been in the news so much. And it's hard when you don't have the lens that you do of working with advisors, working with investors, it sounds like working with friends and family as well, on helping to sort of understand where what what is actually going to matter for me? How should I interpret this? And how likely is any of this? And likely or not, does this actually give me a good excuse to do a review of my taxes, sort of a health check on from a tax perspective of my investments? And am I set up in a way that helps me be able to, as you say, keep more of what I earn or keep the most possible of what I earn. We don't want to be paying unnecessary taxes. We, we like to be on the legal side. Yes. Obviously, everybody does. So we will pay taxes that are necessary to be paid. But if we have charitable inclinations, typically we have other charities in mind than, than Uncle Sam. So being able to funnel those dollars to other causes as opposed to the to the US government is probably top priority for a lot of people. So thank you very much, Frank, for helping us figure out where should I be focused? Where should I be going? How can I have this conversation with clients? What are the resources and the tools that might be available to sort of ignite that, that interest, spark that interest, and also that sense of urgency with clients? Because as you say, we don't know what the timeline is. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. But more than likely, taxes are not going to go down. And even if they stay steady, are we maximizing all of our sort of tax smart solutions to the best of our abilities? Thank you, yep. Frank. Thank you, Sophie. Good, good talk to you. This podcast was recorded in Seattle, Washington on May the 4th, 2021. Thanks for listening and may the 4th be with you.